All right, if you have a Bible, get it out, open it up to the book of Micah. I'm going to give you a few minutes to get there. Micah's not a book you probably uh, know how to get to really quickly, uh, but it is in the Old Testament, and so if you go to the middle of the Bible and then start making your way slowly to the right, uh, it's one of the books right before the New Testament. So uh, if you have a Bible, great. Uh, if you need to look it up on your phone, please do. I want everybody to have the opportunity to see uh, the scriptures that I'm going to be teaching this morning. So today's an opportunity for me to invite you in to, uh, to seeing who God is and, and what he wants for your life. I really, every week I pray for opportunities to, uh, to, to invite people to the Lord. And, um, and I'm not always great at it. And I want to just kind of like show you an example of me not being great at it. This week somebody called me and uh, I don't know about you, but I get calls all during the week from random numbers. And if it's you know, if it's a number I don't know, I don't ever answer it. But for whatever reason, this one, I text messaged uh, them um, and I said, uh, who, who, who this? And they said, who is this? I was feeling kind of rowdy, you know, it was during the week. And I said, who is this first? Which means they have to answer me. This actually did happen. And then I said, why do you, he said, why do you or she, uh, why do you have this number? Uh, well, it probably, yeah, it probably was a she because they didn't think I was funny at all. And uh, so why do, you, why do you have this number? And I said, will you call me? And she said, um, no. And I said, weird, I texted you because I got a call from your number at 838. And then, and then I showed them a screenshot of their call to me, right? Like I got them. And then we go to the next one. I said, I'm in Houston. So I'm like, We're, I'm building a friendship with this person. This happened during my week. And, um, and they said, that is so weird. I did not call you. No idea that occurred. And I said, weird, I blame Trump. And I was trying to... <laughs> I was trying to just kind of find out where they were politically. Um, and so I said, well, I'm a pastor. Transition. Huh? I'm a pastor, so if you need a prayer, might as well ask. I know. I know. I live a, a And then the person says, everyone can use prayers. And so then I sent them a link to the website. And then, and then I didn't include the next few because it's so demoralizing. Because I was like, okay, cool. Hey, uh, see you later. You know, you want to get together? Nothing. So... Um, so I'm not always great at it, but I, today I, I want to <laughs> invite you in to, to meet the Lord. I want to invite you in to hear God and to understand more fo- fully who God is. And so we're in this series called Verses for Life. And what we've done as a team is we've selected some, some fairly popular Bible verses, ones that, that uh, will be familiar to some of you if you've been around the church for very long. It's okay if you haven't. I'm going to explain it to you. And so we, we've, we've picked them, and, uh, and then I'm going to teach them in context. Some of them, the, the meaning of them in context may surprise you. And today's passage is out of the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Now, this is a very popular passage, especially this time of the year, where there are churches sending youth groups all over the world on mission trips, right? Because this sounds like a really good mission trip t-shirt verse. And here, here's, here's the verse that we're going to get to today. And it says, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Raise your hand if that's a familiar verse to you. You heard it before. Yeah, it's a fairly familiar verse, commonly quoted on a t-shirt right now, no doubt somewhere in Mexico with some teenagers. Um, Now, it's it's written by uh, or spoken by a prophet by the name of Micah. Now, if you know much about the Old Testament, you might know a little something about the prophets. 
And my guess is if you hear uh, something that's going to come from the prophets, you get the feeling like I do sometimes where I, I think it feels like the prophets are just always irritated. <laughs> it seems like the prophets are agitated. It's, it, they're always saying things that are hard to hear. They seem kind of like a cranky bunch of folks. So Micah, although this verse is really neat and you could like get a tattoo of it, it'd be cool. Uh, it's really set in a context where Micah is not happy. He is speaking on behalf of God in a situation in the history of Israel where, where God is not happy with their behavior. So God has inspired Micah to say these words. Now, do you know who Israel is? Israel, uh, generally speaking, is, is a tribe of people, a group of people that is God's chosen people. So he has a special relationship with them made by covenants, promises. This is what the Old Testament really is about. It's, it, it's a story of how God uh, calls a man by the name of Abraham and promises him many children. And that, that group, or that family, as it grows and develops, becomes the group of people to whom God reveals himself in a special way and through whom comes the Messiah, Jesus. And so they have a special relationship. And part of that relationship is if you will obey me, God tells them through the prophets and through the law, if you will obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll suffer the consequences. And so in the Old Testament, really, it's this continual cycle of obeying, blessing, and then they would disobey, and then they would suffer the consequences. And oftentimes, in the periods that they were disobeying, it was during times of economic prosperity uh, for them. It, it was during times when things were going pretty good. It was like they, they lost a sense of really needing God. And so God, and throughout its history, in every generation, God would raise up these prophets and they would speak boldly. I mean, they, were, they, were, they seemed like an irritable kind of group. They wouldn't be the first people you would invite to game night on Friday, right? Because you know they're going to come speaking truth and not everybody likes that. And so, I, so a few weeks ago, we took a trip to North Carolina and we rented a suburban, a little bigger vehicle than we have. My wife drives a mini, minivan and, and um, we needed something a little bigger because our kids are getting bigger, all kinds of stuff for that long trip. You don't care about all that, but I'm, I'm telling you. Um, so we rented a Suburban, and it was a nice new Suburban. And one of the features that it had that I didn't realize it had until about an hour and a half into the trip is that when, when you're driving, if you start to drift and you get over the line, the chair vibrates. You, you, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You ever been in a car like that? So, so you're driving, and if you start to, to lose focus, to start to... To, to, to get off course, it vibrates. I mean, it moves. And for me, every single time, it shot, I mean, it shocked me like my adrenaline pumped. You know, I have, uh, my, it, it like stressed me out. So I turned it off, which is not a good, helpful part of this illustration. I would rather veer off and kill us all than have that little vibration on my leg. But this is what the prophets have done. They, this is what they're doing. They're saying, they're saying, oh, you guys are getting off. Boom, like wake up. Here, you need to listen. This isn't the way that God wants you to live. If you continue in this direction, you're dead, you're in trouble. And, and so the prophet Micah is like kind of the vibrating voice. Um, and he's one of many. They do it repeatedly, you know. You might not have heard of him. Maybe you've heard of Isaiah, Jer Jeremiah, others. But he's alarming. Uh, he's giving an alarming message to God's people because they continue to drift. So in the book of Micah, some of the things that they're being accused of 
Uh, I just want to briefly talk to you about them. In Micah chapter 1, verse 7, there, um, if, you, if you have your Bible, you can just look there really quickly. He says, All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will be laid waste. What, what he's getting at here is that the people of Israel are worshiping false idols. So they're supposed to be worshiping Yahweh God, but instead, or in addition to, in some seasons of their history, they're worshiping Yahweh God, but they're also worshiping man-made idols. This is a problem. Micah's speaking out about this. Micah chapter 2, verse 2, they're guilty of fraud. Micah chapter 2, verse 8, they're guilty of theft. Verse 9 of chapter 2, they're guilty of greed. Micah chapter 2, verse 11, they're guilty of debauchery, which is excessive indulgence, particularly in the area of sexuality. And so he's just listing these things off as we're building to chapter 6. Uh, Micah chapter 3, verse 3, they're guilty of oppression, oppressing people. Chapter 3, verse 4, they're, they're guilty of hypocrisy. Chapter 3, verse 4, we can read it. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have their, made their deeds evil. They're trying to be something. They're trying to put on a mask before God, but God sees it all. And Micah's calling them out for it. They're getting out of the lane that God has set out for them. The list continues to go on to Micah uh, injustice, Micah chapter 3, verse 9, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, they're guilty of extortion and lying, Micah chapter 6, verse 12. They're guilty of murder, Micah chapter 7, verse 2. So all of these things are building, and essentially what Micah is doing is he's speaking judgment over Israel. He's calling them to repentance, and he's telling them with a loud voice, he's telling them that this is not the way God wants them to live. And, and, and uh, now you might wonder, well, why does Micah care so much about the way Israel is living? Right? I mean, like, why would one person need to be concerned with how another person is living? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you heard it in our own day. Like, why, why do... Why do Christians always try to concern themselves with how other people are living or even other Christians are living? Why don't they just leave them alone? Why is the misbehavior uh, a concern of somebody? Don't you have enough to be concerned with, Micah? But this is the kind of thing that kept Micah up at night. It's the kind of thing where, where, where God has said, this is what it means to live a righteous life. And there's a group of people who are, who are um, living an unrighteous life. So God raises up prophets to speak to those who claim to know God and, and want to have a relationship with God and say, hey, you cannot say you are God's children while at the same time living unrighteous lives. Let me, let me try to explain it like this. Uh, imagine that you're listening to somebody singing and they're singing off key. And loudly, maybe you just experienced that. Anybody sitting around me experienced it just a second ago. So, so you're, you're listening to somebody singing and they're, they're, they're singing off key and they're singing loud, loudly. Now, if, if you're musically insensitive, like you're tone deaf, you don't care. I, I personally do not care if you can't sing. It doesn't bother me one bit. I, I'm not, I'm not um, 
skilled enough as a singer to really know whether or not you're on key, off key. But some of you are skilled enough musically, right? Like you cannot be around somebody that's barking out notes. It doesn't matter how much they're worshiping God. You're like, dude, that is not worship. That's of the devil, you know? Some of you have perfect pitch, and so you understand the standard for music, and when something's not meeting that standard, it bothers you, it agitates you. And, and, and if you could, and if it was socially acceptable, you'd pull that person aside, you'd be like, hey, maybe you should work in the media department, you know? Uh, maybe, maybe you should go back and work with the kids because you can't sing and you're distracting all of us. Right, So you, as someone who's musically sensitive, you know the standard. And so when there's somebody not meeting the standard, it bothers you, it agitates you. And if you could, you'd speak up. For me, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't bother me, so I'm not going to concern myself. Here's the thing with Micah. Micah is raised up by God because he knows the standard for righteousness. And so he is going to tell people, this is not okay. You, you, the way that you're behaving is not meeting God's standard for righteousness. And you've said you want to be righteous before God by obeying the law. You're not doing it. And this is a problem. And not only is it a problem because you said you're going to do something that you're not doing. It's a problem because you're going to be judged for it. You're going to stand before God and give an account for how off key your life is. We say, what's the big deal? Why is Micah concerning himself? It's because there are prophets that need to be listened to. And in every generation, God has raised up prophets to awaken indifferent people to the places in our world or the places in our lives that are not the way God wants them to be. Let me say that again. In every generation, in every place, God raises up people to awaken indifferent people to the places in our world and the places in our life where things are not the way God wants them to be. And here in this passage, in this prophecy, Micah is heated. And the thing that he's the most upset about is actually something that many of the prophets were most upset about, and that is the neglect of the marginalized. The neglect of those in society who could not help themselves. And you see, God sees it all. A favorite passage of mine, one I remind myself of, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So God sees it all. He sees what's going on in our city. He sees what's going on in your life. He sees what's going on throughout the world. And he is keeping watch and knows. And he is raising up prophets in every generation to speak the truth about the way it was meant to be and when it is not being lived out in the way it was meant to be. So with that in mind, we get to Micah chapter 6. And Micah's bringing this judgment against Israel. And we see in verse 1 that uh, the Lord is speaking here in verse 1 of Micah chapter 6. It says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. In other words, it's like the Lord is saying, tell me why you're behaving in the way that you know is not okay. Plead your case. The mountains who are, have been here forever are a witness to the way you're living. So tell me why. Hear your mountains. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. 
and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Verse 3. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And so as God is bringing through the prophet Micah, he's bringing these words of judgment. It's actually this interesting writing where it's as if he's, God is giving the people an opportunity to bring an accusation against him. Surely there's a reason you're behaving in this way. You're living such unrighteous lives. Surely there is a reason that you're neglecting the oppressed, that you're lying, you're stealing, you're coveting, that you're, you're, you're wildly indulgent and out of control. Surely there's a reason. What, what have I done to you? Bring the accusation to me, the Lord says, so that I can understand how you can justify your behavior in this way. Have I wearied you, he says? And then he goes into verse four. I mean, I, I'm probably the one that brought you out of Egypt. It's a reference to the Exodus where you know, Israel was enslaved for 400 years and they cried out to God, Exodus says. They cried out to God, they cried out to God. And then the scripture says that God heard them. God saw them. So he raised up Moses and Moses led them out of slavery. And, and then of course went to Mount Sinai. That's where they got the 10 commandments and other parts of the law. But it is for Israel, their greatest act of God's deliverance in their history. It's one they reference often. And so Micah is saying on behalf of God, he's saying, so I brought you out of Egypt. I mean, what, what accusation do you have against me that would justify you behaving in such an unrighteous way? I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, leaders of this movement. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. Be careful there, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so he's like, and so Micah is saying on behalf of God, tell me what what I have done to weary you to the point that you could behave in such an unrighteous way. And of course, the people are listening and there are some that are under incredible conviction some are listening to Micah. And in and, and, and the listening and in the conviction, they begin to ask, what do we have to do to please you, O oh God? What do you want from me, O oh God? Have you ever done that? I mean, you've been in a difficult season of your life and you just feel like you're so far from God, drifted from God, you're, you're out of the lane and you're not even sure how to get back. I've been there a time or two, more than that, actually dozens of times. And, and essentially in, in a moment of desperation, you cry out, God, what do you want me to do? I, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to get back to you. I don't know how to get out of this relationship. I don't know how to get out of this job. I don't know how to get out of this addiction. I don't know how, how, what do you want me to do, God? Where are you? What do you want me to do? I've messed up. I'm sorry. Please help. Every deepening relationship has that as a question in different points. What do you want from me? Right? And uh, every generation has a song with that question. Pink Floyd, 1994, the album, The Division Bell. Raise your hand if you're a Pink Floyd fan. Six of you, okay. Um, good, this is really going to hit well. Um, the, the lines of the song actually called, What Do You Want <laughs> From Me? Are, What Do You Want? What Do You Want From Me? You're so hard to please. What do you want from me? It, it's a song about relationships. And deepening relationships, or okay, so maybe you're not into Pink Floyd, but you're into, you're a little younger, so you're into people like Adam Lambert, like, 
raise your hand, Adam Lambert. He's strange, to, very strange, to, if you ask me, but uh, whatever. He's a heartthrob um, from American Idol's eighth season. I found this on Wikipedia. I know nothing about him. Um, 2009, he has a song, and it's What Do You Want From Me? He doesn't actually spell What Do You Want From Me correctly. It's like W-H-A-T-A-Y-A, What Do You Okay, so what do you want from me? Here's the lines. What do you want from me? Hey, slow down. What do you want from me? Yeah, I'm afraid. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? It's a, it's a relationship kind of song. Every generation since the beginning of time has had people asking the question and deepening relationships, what do you want from me? And, and the people are asking God, what do you want from me? Maybe this morning you're asking God that. God, what do you want from me? I've tried to do the religion thing and it hadn't worked. I've tried to build a relationship with my own strength that hadn't worked. I'm trying to honor you and it hadn't worked. God, what do you want from me? Well, we aren't exactly sure who's speaking in verses six and seven. But when they say, what do you want from me? They're essentially offering up some suggestions as to what God might want in this context. Look at verse six. With what shall I come before the Lord? In other words, how am I going to come back to you and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Now, something that you should know in this context of religious activity is that um, there was a ceremony in their religious activity where they would actually bring uh, offerings to a place of worship and they would be burned. And some of them were grains and others of them were actual animals that were sacrificed and there was shed blood. And this ceremony that God established when he gave them the law at Mount Sinai, in the ceremony there was the shedding of blood and, and that is, uh, is a way that God set it up so that their sins could be covered up by the shed blood and uh, so that they can continue to be in this relationship with him. And they had to offer sacrifices again and again and again because they would sin, offer sacrifices, and then they would sin and they would need a new sacrifice. And of course, if we fast forward to the New Testament, we know that Jesus was the final sacrifice. His shed blood made it so that when we sin and we repent of sin and accept the sacrifice of Jesus' shed blood on the cross, that we don't have to continue making sacrifices because he was the final sacrificial lamb. But here in this context, in the 8th century BC, um, these people are going, what do you want from me, God? And so they're, they're going to God with what they knew, which is religious activity. And for them, it would be like moral goodness. I, I mean, if you, would, if you would say, okay, God, what do you want from me? You might, you might not think, okay, I'm going to bring a grain offering, although whoever brought the donuts, shout out to you. That's awesome. It works. But you, you might think, well, I'm going to do something really good for somebody, and that'll make God happy with me. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do a good deed. I'm going to give a dollar to a panhandler, and, and that's going to kind of make up in God's eyes for the sin in my life. I'm going to do religious or, or really good moral things because 
that is my way of trying to earn my way back to God. And so this is what they're doing. Shall I come before you with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? And each of these proposals were requiring more and more sacrifice. So it's escalating here for whoever's saying it. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So th- these questions the offering when they're saying, what do you want from me is, okay, well, what do you want from me? Here's what I'll do. I'll act really religious. I'll act really moral to, to a degree that would be considered extreme. And what we're going to see in verse eight is essentially what God is saying through the prophet is that is not what God wants from you. What God wants from you is your heart. He doesn't want you to do good things because you think that by doing those good things that you're going to gain his approval. He wants you to do those good things because of your knowledge or your understanding that through Christ you are approved already. What do you want from me? God, Israel throughout its history kind of missed this point of the relationship. They, their their uh, teachers made the religion about rules and what we see in the Old Testament as a thread and certainly in the life of Jesus is that what God wants is people's hearts, not just religious activity. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling, I'm drifting, I try to go do good things to kind of regain my place before God, but it does no good because our standing before God cannot be gained on our own merit. This is the Christian gospel. Listen carefully because there are some of you who think that by living a good life in the end that God's going to look at you and say, well, you aren't as bad as others, so come on. But none of us can live a good enough life. We can't bring enough sacrifices to God. We cannot do enough morally upright deeds to earn God's approval. And so moral behavior or religious behavior is not enough. The Christian gospel is this. You cannot earn your way to God by good deeds. This is why Jesus came. He laid his life down on a cross. He shed blood and broken body, paid a sacrifice for your sin. And through repentance and faith in Christ, you have your sin not covered up like it was in the Old Testament. It's erased. It's thrown as far as the east is from the west. And the scripture says that you will never then be separated from God's love. It's always been for God about the heart of the people, not just about religious activity or religious behavior. You say, well, I'm a good person. I'm I'm like, okay. And this is a strange reality in our culture where if we're living among people that we're not the worst of, we somehow feel like that's just okay. But let me me play this illustration out a little bit earlier that I said. So if you uh, are singing with a group of people that are all off key, you might not realize that they're off key or you may not be the worst. You may feel pretty good about yourself, but God doesn't measure you by how other people are singing. He measures, measures your life by the standard of righteousness, perfection. And so, um, this is why we need Jesus. 
So Micah speaks up to Israel and he says, um, no, it's, it's not your, your religious behavior or your moral activity that God wants. What he wants is your heart. Once you believe that and understand that, then in response to the new life you have in Christ, and of course we're reading this passage in Micah through the lens of the entire Bible. Once you experience that, once you cross over the line of faith and you say, you know what, I cannot with my sacrifices bringing 10,000 rams and lots of oil and good deeds before the Lord to earn his approval. That is not enough. We all fall short. Once you realize that and say, I need Jesus, I need the sacrifice of Jesus, the righteousness earned by Jesus, and you cross over that line of faith and you become a Christian or you're born again, you get to live a life that does please God. And is good. And I'm not sure there's anywhere in the Bible where it's more beautifully captured than in verse 8 of chapter 6. Which is what we've been building to. Micah tells us exactly what the Lord requires of you. He has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The emphasis here is the kind of life that flows out of a heart for God. You get to do to others what you acknowledge God has done to you through Christ. You catch that? This is a dangerous kind of passage, truthfully, because one reason people love this as a verse for life is it's because a list of things to do. And sometimes we like that list of things to do and think if we just do those three things, then God will approve us as righteous. No, no, it doesn't work like that. You'll never be able to do enough good things. But once you are approved as righteous through Christ, this is the Christian gospel, repent of sin, place your faith in Jesus, accept his merit of righteousness on your life. Then what you get to do is live like this in response to what God has done to you. Oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We live like this, and of course there's other prophets in the 8th century that said something similar. Amos chapter 5 verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is what it is to live in response to what God has done for us, okay? This is the Christian life. God has told us what it means to have hearts who are committed to him and united with him through Christ. And so the wording here, uh, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, the wording in the Hebrew is actually, uh, it can be strung together as as one thought, okay? And 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 it's something like this. To mercifully love others by doing justice while walking humbly with God. This is what it looks like to live out the Christian faith, to mercifully love others while doing justice and walking humbly with God. So as I'm beginning to wrap this up, I I want to just propose to you 
for those of you that are in Christ, for those of you that are counted as righteous because of your faith in Christ, I want to propose to you how you can live out Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Listen to the prophets. The prophets in our day are raising awareness of the places all around us where there's injustice, and they're speaking out on behalf of those that have been marginalized. You know who the prophets are? The prophets are people like our friend Sam who started this Elijah Rising location that's in the Heights that that makes candles and soaps as a way of supporting those that have been rescued from human trafficking. The prophets are, are, are people like Carolyn, who's in our church, who, who works for um, Fruit Magazine. It's a, it's a, it's a publication that's, that's designed and put in um, facilities, juvenile detention facilities, and it's read by uh, teenagers who are incarcerated for usually short periods of time, and they don't have anything else to do. They're going to read this magazine, and in the magazine are articles and um, drawings and poems um, about about life and Christ and trying to help them. Like, that, like there's a need. Like that, Carolyn is a prophet among us. She's raising awareness in our church that, hey, there are, there's a marginalized group of people in our city, and that is, that is these kids who grow up in tough neighborhoods, and because of where they grew up and the lack of education that they get, many of them end up being incarcerated. And when they first get incarcerated, if they're not dealt with appropriately, then they're going to end up being long-timers in jail. She's a prophet. Anybody, we have more and more coming people that are working with us to fight human trafficking in the city. They're, they're prophets. We need to listen to them and, and let them help us see places in our city where there's injustice, where we need to mercifully love and work on behalf of justice. And here's the, here's the thing sometimes. Sometimes we ignore the needs for justice around us because there are politicians or people that are really politically minded Uh, just annoying the heck out of us, talking about the needs that are around us and using it for their political gain. Like a real hot one right now is what's going on at the border. And in this church, I promise you, there there are different groups of people that would say, well, we we should not let the immigrants in. Uh, And there are some that say, well, of course we should let them in. There are some that are saying, well, it's their own fault. And there's others that are saying, well, no, it's our fault. I mean, and, and, and all I know is this. God cares about anybody that's being oppressed anywhere, be it next door to you, at the border, on the other side of the world. And we can sit back and say, hey, God, we love you. Thank you for how you have so mercifully entered into our lives and given us a new life in Christ in spite of our shortcoming. Thank you for that. And, um, and okay, see you later. No, th- No, that wouldn't even make sense. What we get to now do is to do justice and to love mercy and, and to walk humbly with God, which means that we listen to the prophets and we ignore the people that are annoying us with, with crying about what's going on socially for their own political gain. But that doesn't mean there's not needs among those people. You, you know, the prophets are the people who are raising awareness about the, the need to adopt and to foster in our city. The prophets among us are those that, that care about homelessness and, and not just feeding the homeless people that are on the corner, but are working on the systems in our city so that there are fewer homeless people in our city. This is what it means to have hearts that respond to the goodness of God to us through Christ, right? This is what it means to get out. But here's the problem. 
the more rich we are, the harder it is to care about injustice. It's true. The more rich we are and the more comfortable we get, the more uncomfortable it is to say, I'm going to sacrifice for those that are in the margins. And there will always, Jesus said, there will always be the poor among us. And so there'll always be poverty. There'll always be pain in our city. I mean, that's just reality. But I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of church that says, hey, this is our heart's cry, is to go in response to what God has done for us in Christ. We are going to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God and find the people in the places in our city that have needs, and we're going to do something about it. And there is no other option. This is what it means to be Christian. We're busy, yes. We're tired, yes. We have bills to pay, yes. But as we listen to the prophets, and I want to be one of them today, saying, what God wants is your heart. And when God has your heart, you will care about those places where there's injustice. That's what Micah's saying. And this isn't like a list of options. This is like the option. So who are the prophets in your life? How are they making you aware of the needs? Our church is connected to some of them. And one of the ways that we as a church gather together to help meet some of the needs and fight for justice in places where there is injustice and and work to show love to those that are in the margins is through our benevolence ministry, which would be like if somebody has a need financially, we help people. Or um, like, for instance, Lamar High School is about to start up and they have uh, a whole closet where they have clothes, underwear, toothbrushes for kids that go to that school that without the help from the school, they would not have underwear. They would not have toothbrushes. They would not have school uniforms. That's the kind of stuff where, where we are working together to, to serve those that are in the margins. So, uh, Lord, what do you want from us? We hear you, Lord. Let's pray together. So my call to action with your head bowed is this. What... What is the need around you? Is it a person who's suffering from injustice? Is it a system that God has made you passionate about reforming? What are the prophets that are around you saying? How are they raising awareness about the needs? then what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? With your head bowed, I just want to ask you to commit in your heart right now to this week finding a sliver of injustice, a place that you can show God's love. We can sit back and complain about what the government is not doing with regard to whatever issue we care about. 
Or we can ourselves get involved and do something about it. So God, I want to pray to you now, Lord, and I just want to say, would you help me know how to lead this church um, to, to see the needs around us? God, forgive me. I just want to say forgive me for my sin of um, ignoring needs because it just I just get comfortable. I've got to pray that we as a church would hear the words of the prophet Micah. That we would do justice, we would love kindness, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, God. And I pray that we would do that in response to how you have done that to us. How you've been merciful and kind to us through Christ. So Lord, um, that's my hope and that's my prayer.